Well, you know, so we had a rotation today. Uh, we rotate our worship leaders. I heard a story about a uh, young preacher who went to a church. And it was a Baptist church, and they have deacons there. And he thought it would be good, a good idea to go to deacon rotation. So he told the head deacon about that. And he told, uh, well, here, young man, we don't rotate deacons, we rotate preachers. <laughs> I am reading from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11 again. We've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the ones that God gives to the church. And they are given not for our glory, but for God's glory. They are given to build up His church and ultimately to build up His kingdom. The kingdom is not a building. It is the people of God. And the kingdom of God is not somewhere else. The kingdom of God is within you. But it says in verse 11, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip His people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We all have these spiritual gifts. We've been looking at them for some time now. And uh, there, there's a spiritual gift that is given to every one of us. We all have gifts and we are encouraged to use those gifts to build up and to glorify God. The specific one that we looked at last week and that we're going to be looking at again this week is the gift of evangelism. There is a special gift of evangelism that is given to some people, for some that is uh, personal evangelism. But I talked about my, my friend uh, in uh, Canada, his name is Dwayne. And Dwayne has a real gift of personal evangelism. He has a sweet disposition, he's always smiling. And he can go up to people at the airport or in a restaurant and start talking about Jesus in a very natural, non-offending way. And so that is a special gift, and I'm glad that God has given us. There's also something I might call public evangelism. These would be evangelists that are able to speak in churches and other locations, and they have a special gift of being able to call them unto the Lord. Some years ago at the church where I was pastoring, we were going to have a revival. One of my church members recommended a person from the northern part of the state. And so I didn't know him. I said, well, okay, we'll, we'll give him a try. And so the guy came in, and normally during the revival, I would go around visiting people and uh, telling them about the Lord. But this guy spent all day long in prayer. So I went, this is a ministry. But then he got up to preach, and he wasn't really all that good. You know, just didn't have everything organized, and didn't really have, in my opinion, as much to say as he should have. But then something special happened. As he began to approach the invitation, the Holy Spirit began to move in our midst, and I could sense it. You know, I was stirred up, not necessarily by the words, but just by the presence of God. And he gave the invitation, and every night there were those that were responding. I've never been in a church before where there were so many people that responded to the invitation to become Christian. He had a gift of uh, evangelism uh, to the public. 
And then there is mass evangelism. And these are people that are able to, to preach to large crowds and get a response. Charles Finney in the past, uh, in the 19th century, Dwight L. Moody was such an evangelist. In the 20th century, probably the most well-known would be Billy Graham. Billy Graham typically would go to his crusades and he would speak to 100,000 or more people. I, I went to one of his crusades in Baton Rouge. And Tiger Stadium was filled up, probably a hundred thousand people. And many responded at the end. In when he went to South Korea, it is said that at one of the services there were over a million people. And every time he preached, there were those who responded. And probably many of us know somebody who responded to Billy Graham either in a crusade or watching him on television. Then there are apologists and Apologist doesn't mean somebody to apologize. It, it means somebody that is a defender of the faith. And we know people that have, have done that. Uh, really great men of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called Mere Christianity. And there have been people all over the world that were not believers, some even antagonistic to Christianity. And they became believers as a result of reading that book. Many people. Uh, we have one here, uh, Patricia. She responded to another grand crusade or, 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 or an apologist like uh, C.S. Lewis. So all of these uh, you know, great men and women of God have a special kind of gift of being able to convey the, the message of salvation in a way that maybe others cannot. But despite that, every one of us has a spiritual gift. And our mandate is to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. Jesus said, go into all the world and teach and baptize in my name. So this is a congregational, this is a gift that is given to everybody. You can use your spiritual gift, whatever it is, to bring people to Christ. Maybe not in the way of an evangelist, but still in a very important way. Last week, we looked at a couple of these. Becky, uh, you can put the first one on the board. We have the, uh, the, the testimonial evangelist, and it's John 9, 25. I was blind, but now I see. This is the blind man. And he had been given sight by Christ. They were beginning to accuse him. You, you think this man is a man of God? He's healing on the Sabbath. That can't be possible. He said, in us, I, I don't know about all that, but I was blind, and not, now I see. And everybody is able to give a testimony about what Christ has done to you. If you are a believer, you have a testimony to tell. Then uh, secondly, we look at the service evangelist and use the first figure four. It says, if anyone serves, they should go do so with the strength that God provides. So there are those people that have a special gift of service. All of us are to serve one another. But I've known some people, and they just had a special ability to serve. That was, uh, that was one way of, for them of actually expressing their love. And I had people to serve me, and I felt guilty a little bit because they served me so much. But uh, they, for them, I don't want to take that gift away from them. And my brother had told me years ago, he said, if somebody wants to do something for you, he said, don't turn it down. 
For them, that is a gift. And they're giving that as an act of love. So, as a pastor over the years, I have been the recipient of all kinds of gifts and service that I did not deserve, but they were blessed by it. And so, you know, I, I don't complain. I just thank them for what they're doing. Today, we're going to be looking at two more of those gifts and how they can be used for evangelism. And the first of these is the invitational evangelism. Now, invitational evangelism, I think one of the greatest examples of this is found in John chapter 4. And there was a woman in Samaria, and Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaria. Most Jews would not even do that. They detested the Samaritans who were half-Jews. They had married with the Indians, and so uh, they thought that they weren't real Jews. And they were following a false teaching. But Jesus went right through there and they came to a little village. And the disciples went into town to get some food. And Jesus was waiting by a well that Jacob had built. And they were still getting water from that. And while Jesus was sitting down, there was a woman from the town that came to draw water. And she probably came by herself because she was a bit of an outcast in town. And there were those that uh, maybe shunned her because of the lifestyle that she had lived. But Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Now Jesus didn't have a bucket to draw water, and so he asked her. But she was surprised that a Jew would talk to her, a Samaritan, because most Jews detested the Samaritans. And she said, you're a Jew and you're asking me for a drink of water? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, and if you knew who it was, I would give you living water. And if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. If you drink ordinary water, you have to go back again and again and again. But if you have the living water, you will never be thirsty. And she said, well, I'd sure like to have some of that water. You know, she didn't have any little where she could just turn the tap. Uh, she, she had to walk by herself all the way to the well and get her own water. She said, well, that's great. I'd love to have indoor plumbing like that. <coughs> then uh, Jesus began to talk to her. He, he, he talked to her and said, uh, you can have that living water. I am the living water. And the woman was confused by all of this and she, she, she was asking him a bunch of questions. She asked uh, about... You know, he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. Why he was reaching out to her. Uh, she was asking him also about you know, what he was going to be doing and, and uh, what, where was the right place to worship. And she said, we Samaritans, we worship at Mount Gerizim. The Jews worship in Mount Zion. What, where is the right place to worship God? And there was a discussion among them about where do you probably worship God? He, Jesus said, well, God is a spirit. And those that worship Him worship in spirit and in truth. And there's a coming today in which people won't be worshiping in your mountain or the other mountain because they'll be worshiping God who is a spirit that is everywhere present. And Jesus said to her, you know, go and get your husband. And she said, well, you know, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, well, you're exactly right. You don't have a husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands. The man that you're living with right now is not your husband at all. 
in Louisiana terminology that was saying you're shacking up together. One said, well, I can see that you're a prophet. And you know, about that time, the disciples came back from town. And they saw Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, and they were confused by that. But the woman went into town, and she began telling people, she said, this man told me everything that I have done. Well, he didn't exactly tell everything. But he said, she said, come and see if this is the Messiah. And so they did. The Bible says as a result of her evangelism, her invitation to come and see Jesus, there were many people in the town that believed in him. Over the years, I've appreciated Christians who invite others to come to church. You know, a simple invitation. I, I try to do that. As I'm going around town, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll see somebody new and I'll say, you know, I'm a pastor at the Presbyterian Church, one of many. Uh, why don't you come and visit us? And you know, not every time does somebody come. But I've been amazed. There have been a number of times that people actually came just because they received an invitation. And I believe that as believers, all of us can do that. We can invite somebody to church, and it makes it a lot easier to evangelize after they've come. You know, if I talk to them in church, say, hi, how are you doing? I've got the red tag on. And they, they, they actually heard me speak. It kind of builds a relationship, and I have, I have a foot in through a head. It gives us open. And so many times I've been able to lead people to Christ through that. I, I remember once years ago, there was a lady that came because her sister-in-law was being baptized. And that week, I went to visit her and her husband, and both of them made a profession of faith, came into the church, were baptized, and you know now, 35 or 37 years later, they are still involved in the church and they've been serving God for all that time. She came because somebody else invited her to come. On November the 2nd, the 7th, we're going to be having a special event here at the church. Thanksgiving. It's kind of between the Canadian Thanksgiving and the American Thanksgiving so that everybody can celebrate together. And I was thinking this last week, what a great opportunity as an outreach tool. If every one of us could invite one other family to come with us. And I talked to Debbie to see if it was all right if we bring extra people. She said, yes, just when uh, people come and they, they bring something else besides the turkey. She said, we're buying all the turkeys. But for other things, maybe you could bring a little bit extra with the guests. And so you might, you might invite your next door neighbor you might, if you have a maid, invite your maid and their family to come for a turkey dinner. I've had people that are actually glad to receive that. Maybe you have a partner or some other kind of worker. And what we're going to do at the dinner is probably Pastor Guillermo and I will both speak just for a few minutes, just to kind of introduce them to our church. But this is your opportunity to be an invitational evangelist. To invite people to come and see what God is doing in our midst. Come and see Jesus Christ for yourself. 
then the, the next one is the lifestyle evangelism. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let people see your good works. Now, in order for this lifestyle evangelism to work, there's a couple of things necessary. Uh, first of all, you have to live a godly life so that other people are able to see a difference in you. Then you need to pray for that person that you're dealing with, that God might work in their hearts. Because you and I can't bring anybody to, to salvation. Only the Holy Spirit is able to do that. God can use us as tools, but the Holy Spirit works and convicts. And we are able to accomplish that by prayer. To live a godly life and then form a relationship with that person. Because in essence, all evangelism involves a relationship. Even if you meet somebody in the airport, you have to establish a great relationship before they're willing to hear you talk about Jesus. Some years ago, in one of the ministries that I was involved in, one of our next door neighbors actually, uh, she had been raised as a Catholic, but she became a follower of the New Age movement. And really, if you look into that, People sometimes take that and evolve into almost <clears throat> a kind of demonism. This lady seemed to be content with what she had, but my wife, Andy, met her <clears throat> through our kids because our kids were about the same age. And in the school, the kids always came home for lunch. And so they would sort of rotate. Her kids would come to our house one day, and next day we'd go to theirs. And, uh, they, we watched each other's kids. But every time Andy tried to talk to her about Christ, she would say, no, I'm not interested in that. I have my own. She even gave us some tapes to listen to for the New Age movement. And I never did listen to them, but she was willing to share what she had as well. <clears throat> but then there was a problem that came about in her life. Her husband left. She was left there raising the two children. And there were other things going on in her life. But all that time, for seven years, Andy made and maintained a relationship with her and continued to pray for her. Honestly, I gave up. I was thinking, well, there's no way in the world we're going to reach that woman. We tried everything. But one night, her son called and said, Miss Andy, could you come over and talk to her? She's falling apart, and I didn't know who else to call. So Andy turned to me and she said, Aunt Elaine, you pray. This may have been what I've been praying for. Maybe God is working in this way. And so she went over and she began to talk with Eileen. She cried with her and heard her and listened to all that she had to say. And then Eileen asked a question. She said, Andy, you have something I don't have. You have a peace. How did you get that? And for the first time, she had an opportunity to share Christ with the neighbor. Well, Andy gave her a Bible to read, and, but she and had to leave. She went on a trip, and she came back. And in the meantime, uh, Eileen kind of felt that Christianity wasn't going to work either. And so she went to see a psychologist. She called all the psychologists in the area, 
And nobody was able to see her right away except for one. This one psychologist happened to be a Christian. And as he talked to her, he said, you need to go back and talk to your friend Andy some more. And she did. And once more, Andy shared Christ with Eileen and she became a believer. She made a profession of faith and she was baptized into our church. And, you know, for, for many, many years, her faith was a dynamic part of her life. In fact, in Louisiana, when I became an assistant warden, I was living on the compound where the prison was. And Eileen made a trip and she came and she visited her. She and Andy had a great time together. And you know, every year she would call Andy on the date of her anniversary of becoming a believer. And she would say, thank you, Andy, for not giving up on me. Thank you for sharing the faith of Christ in me. Eileen passed away from breast cancer. Andy passed away breast cancer. But I'm convinced that they had a grand reunion in heaven. It was better even than the one that they had in Louisiana. And they are sharing their faith together. I think was so thrilled that she had finally found the peace in her life. It says in uh, Ephesians 4, 1-3, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. A lifestyle evangelist lives as a Christian and other people see that. One of the greatest uh, words that I ever heard I was at a Hardy's restaurant. I like Hardy's because they have the best sausage gravy and biscuits I've ever had. So I used to go to Hardy's for breakfast and have sausage gravy and biscuits. One day I was waiting in the line and the man came up to me and he said, uh, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I kind of looked at him and thought, yeah, I am. Why? He said, you look like a Christian. I don't know exactly what that looked like. <laughs> but I was grateful that he was able to see something of Christ within me. And I hope that that's what that was. We build a relationship based upon our character, on our lifestyle. Someone said very well, they said, we build a bridge between our hearts and the other part. And Jesus walks across that bridge. That's what lifestyle evangelism is. Many of you know of Charles Colson. He died just a few years ago, but he was a lawyer working for Richard Nixon when Nixon was the President of the United States and got caught up in the Watergate scandal. And he was actually the first one to serve time in prison. Right after the scandal, Charles Colson went into the office of a friend whose name was Tom Phillips. And he had known Tom for some time and he was struggling in his own life knowing what he was facing ahead of him. And he said, Tom seemed different. He knew him before when he was you know, a mid-level manager in engineering. But he had become now the president of Raytheon, uh, and he just seemed very different. There was a peace, a compassion, a joy in his life that he had never seen before. And so he said, Tom, what is it about you? 
Paul says, I've accepted Jesus Christ and committed my life to him. That was something that uh, Colson never thought that Tom would say, not from the life that he had lived before, but he could see a difference in his life. And when he walked out, Tom actually thought that he was a failure, but he was not. He learned later that Tom had prayed for him that day. And the Lord seemed to say to him, Go and tell Charles about me. He needs a friend. Charles said, I, I don't know what would have happened if Tom had not taken that step and talked to me and I had not seen his life and the difference that Christ made. But Charles Colson became a believer. He ended up going to prison for some months. But when he got out, uh, one of the first books that he wrote was Born Again. And some of you may have read that. I, I read it when it came out. I thought it was an amazing book. And he founded a ministry to prisons called Prison Fellowship. And when I was chaplain and warden at a prison, there were volunteers from Prison Fellowship that came in every week. Some of the most effective uh, workers that we had that would come in and they would go up and down the walk and they would talk to people about Christ and they made a difference in so many lives. When I was in the pastorate and doing other things, I loved to read Breakpoint. I thought Charles Colson was insightful for many of the things that he wrote, dealing with Christ and the culture in which we live. An amazing writer, an amazing man of God. But all of this came about because there was one individual that lived like Christ and was willing to share that with another. This morning at our Sunday school, we had a verse, and I have to thank Marvin for, for that. And I think it's a, a good way to conclude today. It's, it is in 2 Timothy 1.6. It says, fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Whatever gift God has given you, to be a great fire burning within you so that you have to use the spiritual gift that God has given you to build up His kingdom, to build up His church. It, it makes us truly uh, the people of God. Fan in the flame. Bow with us, we pray. Oh, gracious God, thank you for the gift that you've given to us. And Lord, we know that we are responsible for how we use that gift. And we're going to be either rewarded or chastised when we stand before you on how faithful we have been in using that gift. May we, be, we all be found as faithful service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.